All right. Um, so we're at the end of James. This is uh, a journey that we've uh, we started uh, what three, four months ago, and um, we're in James five thirteen through twenty today. So over the last you know decade or so, it seems like our pop culture has been dominated by you know superheroes and. Um, superhero movies are what my son Lincoln calls them, booster heroes, because he can't quite say super yet. But <laughs> um, whether it's the Marvel or DC, um, every year's top grossing box office film seems to be some type of superhero movie. And I think the, the key to their success is that they, they tend to focus on the human aspects of these superheroes that and that we can relate to. But then these superheroes, these, these humans also wield these powers or these tools that make them powerful or, or super. I mean, we think about Iron Man and his suit, and or Thor and his hammer, Spider-Man's got his webs, Hulk has his greenness or whatever he has. Um, we think about the power that we feel when we are in control of powerful tools or like heavy machinery or weapons, whatever we might be handling. I think about when we were living in our old house in Novi, we wanted to renovate the bathroom in our basement. We needed to reframe the bathroom. Um, and if anybody's ever done anything in a basement, you have to put it into a concrete floor. So trying to frame wood into concrete a regular nail gun wouldn't have been able to drive a nail into the concrete, so we had to use what I can only describe as like a mini rifle that shot nails instead of bullets. <laughs> and it sounded like a rifle when it went off, and think about shooting anything down in the basin and it like reverberates off the walls, and it sounded powerful. Um, and I've never operated heavy machinery, not like a you know, big excavator or anything like that, but I, I imagine the, the power that you would feel when you could manipulate or, or destroy or move pretty much anything at, you know, with your hands, or at least your hands moving that machinery. Um, but powerful tools don't have to be you know, physical tools either. You know, we think about parents and their abilities to shape their children's futures by their parenting, or teachers being able to teach students um, coaches who are able to inspire their players to play better than they've ever played before, or pastors leading a congregation to, to seek salvation of the Lord. Um, which leads us to Pastor James's message today um, and his scattered congregation. And as we come to the conclusion of this letter, um, James reminds his fellow Christians that they have two tools that they have at their disposal. It's prayer and the truth, or another way to put it, the truth is the gospel. Um, and what we've seen through, what we will see through our text is much like we, what we've already seen throughout this letter is that James is going to be using imperatives and commands to instruct how a Christian should be using these tools. Um, so my title for today's lesson is The Faithful Possess Powerful Tools. So I wanted you guys to give me um, a few examples of 
situations that you guys pray through. So just simple situations. And I'm going to do them in two different categories. I'm going to say suffering and praise. So just start naming out some situations that we pray in. Finance. That could be a praise or a suffering. So <laughs> I'll put it in both. <laughs> what else? Health. That could be a praise and a suffering too, right? <laughs> what else? Relationships. Yeah. Again, it could be in both, right? What else? Job, yeah, you lost your job and yeah. Or you got a new one. Or you got a new one, sure. Yeah. Maybe a couple more. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, uncertainty or yeah. Good. We'll come back to these in a little bit, but I just wanted to get those down. So let's take a look at our text today. I'll read through that. Um, again, we're in James 5, the end of the letter, in verses 13 through 20. I'll give you a second to get there. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the, rain, the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So we're going to have two sections in the lesson today. So the biggest chunk is going to be the first one we're going to talk about prayer. The second one will be in verses 19 through 20, and that's going to be on the truth. Um, so again, this first section is the large chunk of it, and that's where we're going to spend most of the time um, this morning. And this section can be broken down into four subsections. So we have individual prayer, elders prayer, praying with one another, and prophet's prayer. 
In our text, the word pray or prayer is used seven times in these six verses, and it's used in every verse. And interestingly, in the lesson that Dan taught last week, patience or endurance is also mentioned seven times, so we have this sort of balance between the two. And we've already seen this pattern of patience in prayer um, in James's letter back in chapter 1 when James commanded it to, to count it as joy when we're facing trials. He says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then after that, he commands to pray in the next verse, saying, and any of you, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And starting in our, in our text, in verse 13, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then, in, as the NASB has it, it says, Then he must pray. Go back to the, the examples that you guys gave us in the suffering category. Um, the word suffering that James uses in our text, it, it covers all of these examples. And any other one that you can think of that would be considered suffering. Um, and Paul uses the same word in his letters when he's referring to his imprisonment and also when he is talking to Timothy or writing to Timothy and saying what Timothy will be enduring when he's leading a church as well. James' solution for this suffering is, is let him pray, which in the ESV it almost sounds like it's a suggestion, but the NASB version gives us the, the better interpretation when it says he must pray in these situations. James doesn't leave it up to a choice. He's instructing his fellow, prison, his fellow Christians to pray to the Lord when you know, you're dealing with a financial situation or a health situation or, or you know, a, a job, you lost your job or something like that. And the way that we ought to pray is the way that James instructed us back in chapter 1. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. And do you remember what, what the prayer was back in chapter 1? It was asking for wisdom. It was for strength to in, endure through the trials. And not necessarily for a deliverance from the trial, but that we would see the trial as a blessing and that that, that trial would be producing steadfastness in us. And this type of wisdom that we would be praying for, it allows us to feel joy and feel happiness, even though we are going through these tough trials. And it allows us to have a happy, cheerful heart that our Lord is giving us everything we need to endure through the trouble that we would face. And it's, the, it's with that happy and cheerful heart that James is referring to in the second part of verse 13. He says, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And it can be hard to, to praise the Lord in, in any circumstance, um, whether it be good or bad. And when we're facing a, a tough trial, it could, be, it could be easy to say, you know, where is the Lord? Is he, is he here? Is, is he even care that we're going, I'm going through this situation? Or even in a, in, a, in a good situation, we could be 
prideful and think that our own works and our own thoughts and what we're doing is causing this happy feeling or this happy situation. But what James is telling us in this verse and in, in, in its entirety is that in all situations, in, in all occasions, we should be praying and we should be praising the Lord. Consider what Paul says in Ephesians 6, uh, starting in verse 16. He says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So in other words, there should be never a time that we aren't acknowledging the Lord's sovereignty in our lives. Mottier in his commentary puts it this way. I like how he describes this. He says, To pray to him is to acknowledge his sovereign power to meet our needs. And to praise him is to acknowledge his sovereign power in appointing our circumstances. And it's this consistency that James calls for in this verse, that no matter what situation that you're in, whether it be good or it be bad, that you send up all your joy, your, your sadness, your excitement, whatever you're feeling that time, send it up to the Lord because it's because of him that you're going through this. So that, that was our first subsection, talking about individual prayer. Now, uh, looking at verse 14, we see an elder's prayer. And it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So in contrast to the first section that called for individuals to pray for themselves when they're in some type of trouble, trouble or suffering, in this case, James is talking about when somebody has a serious illness, um, he commands that person to summon an elder to come and to pray over them. And we see this today with, with our elders. You know, Jeff or um, Pierre or Dan may go to visit somebody in the hospital who's unable to come and receive a prayer from them. Or think of like a, a shut-in who's unable to come to church. You know, oftentimes our elders will go and pray over them in their place. And James specifically calls for the elders to be summoned because of the position that the elders are called into. Um, in First Timothy, they're referred to as overseers. Um, and we've been going through First Timothy in our worship service. And it calls for elders to be shepherds of their flock. And when one is sick or ailing, he is called to attend to that one. And James instructs the elders to pray over this person because literally these people are usually laying in a bed, so they're going to be praying over them. And it also calls for them to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, which could have some different interpretations about what it means to actually have an elder anoint somebody um, with oil. And we think about in James' time, oil was used in many different situations for many different reasons. I mean, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan 
um, said, was said to have bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That was in Luke 10:34. But in this instance, the oil doesn't have some super healing potion that's going to magically make this person better. I think most likely what James is meaning here is that the oil is supposed to be symbolic. That it's supposed to be done in the name of the Lord as a way for the elder to faithfully call out to the Lord for this specific person to be set apart for uh, the Lord's blessing of healing if it should be the Lord's will. The use of the oil neither has uh, this power nor it does it need to be nor is it required to be used in any type of um, prayer by the elders, but it symbolizes the faith that the elder has when he prays for the healing that the Lord will deliver. And it's through this prayer that James says the Lord will raise up the sick. Look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith, that is the prayer of the elders, will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. This prayer offered in faith is a callback to chapter 1, um, which we referenced earlier about praying and asking the Lord in faith with no doubting. But it doesn't promise that our will would be done, but points to the seriousness of the, the prayer specifically for an elder. It requires a maturity on the elder's part to deeply examine the request and, and pray for the will of God to save the one who is sick. And when a prayer is made in this type of faith, anything can be accomplished. And Jesus teaches us this in Mark 11, in verse 22. It says, And Jesus answered them, that them being the, the disciples, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So the main focus of this section isn't that every prayer that we make is going to happen based on our own will, because if that was the case, actually bad things would be happening if we were actually getting exactly what we wanted all the time. Um, but the main focus is to remind us that God is in complete control and that our prayers ought to be that his will to be done. Much like Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane when he was about to be captured, he was saying, "Your Lord, your will be done in this situation. And that's why James commands that if someone is sick, it's that they are to call an elder, one who is mature in his, in his faith, that will, be, that will pray with a prayer of faith for wills, God's will to come and save the sick and to raise him up. Now, this, this raise him up may have a double meaning. Um, one, that the Lord may actually heal this person at that time and they could actually stand up and out of their sick bed and, and walk away. Um, and there's nothing that's stopping the Lord from doing this even today, just like um, Jesus did in his time. But also look at um, how verse 15 ends. 
And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. There was this belief uh, back in the biblical times that sin actually causes illness, that an illness might have come upon somebody because of their sin. I mean, Jesus even mentioned this after he healed the man by the pool. Um, In John 5, verse 14 says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. If a sick person is laying in their bed and they feel like their illness is caused by some type of sin that's in their lives, or maybe they're just having some extra time to think about their life and perhaps some sin that they've been living in while they're laying there. James says that the elder's powerful prayer offered in faith will cause their sins to be forgiven. And not forgiven by the elder that's going to be praying, but by the Lord. Just as the Jesus told the crippled man that was being lowered down by his friends in that house, um, in Luke 5, he says, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Do you remember what the, the Pharisees did right afterwards? They were all confused, and they started questioning Jesus about his authority to, to, um, to forgive sins. Jesus replied by saying in verse 23, Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Being able to get out of your sick bed and to walk around and feel better would be a miraculous and amazing thing to have happen to you in itself. But knowing that your sins would be forgiven, albeit it be the cause of your illness or not, and that's the ultimate blessing that we receive from the Lord. But this powerful prayer isn't only for elders to employ. I mean, we've already had the example of the individual prayer in verse 13. Now in verse 16, we have praying for one another. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And this can be interpreted in in a couple ways. We either can go to somebody else and confess our sins that we are sinning against the Lord. Um, Perhaps you're struggling with some type of idol in your life and you want somebody to pray with you that you will go back to the Father as as your only God, your only idol. Or, and I, I think this is um, James's point here, is that he's calling us to confess our sins that we've committed against another person. And James has already addressed the, the importance of fellowship in his letter up to this point. Um, he's talk, he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself in the example of the sin of partiality. And again, when he's talking about the, the wickedness and the, the dangerous tongue, the flaming tongue, and what that can do against somebody. And I know it can be hard to admit when we're wrong. I mean, especially when that wrong that you've done is sinful against another person. And I, I think the, the biggest fear in that is that 
we're afraid that person's going to be upset with you or that they're going to shut you out of their life or um, they're not going to trust you anymore to be part of their life. But James isn't just instructing the sinner in this, in this case to confess, but for both parties to come together and to, to pray for one another. Praying for the one who has sinned against you and, and to forgive them is part of the healing process that James is referring here. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Being the one who was sinned against in this situation here, and being willing to meet with your brother or sister in that in that situation goes back to what James is instructing back in chapter 4 um, when he's talking about the a person speaking evil or judging another person. It's our sinful pride that may tell us that this person doesn't deserve our forgiveness or doesn't deserve to be part of our life anymore. But remember what that Ephesians quote said. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Part of getting together with another person, someone who has sinned against you, is not only for that person to confess their sin against you, but it's for the two of you to pray for one another. Look at, look at verse 16 again. It says, Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And again, this whole text so far has been all about lifting up and praying to the Lord for our needs. And with a faith that he will deliver um, us through them, through all of our needs and our trouble. And when we pray with one another, Jesus says that we will, we will be healed of our, of our sins that we are committing against one another. And for any sinful pride that we may have for that person that might be sinning against us. And James reaffirms, reaffirms this claim in the last part of verse 16. He says, The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. I think NASB has it a little bit easier to understand. It says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And this righteous person that re James is referring to is any person of faith, anybody who is living for God. And any prayer by a person like this can accomplish much. It has a great power. So why would we not trust that if we pray with faith that we don't need to fear anything? And we have many examples of, of God accomplishing amazing uh, things through the power of prayer in the Bible. James gives us one example in verses 17 and 18, which leads us to our last prayer section, which is the prophet's prayer. Verse 17 says, <clears throat> Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now I'm going to stop there for a second. Did you hear that one line? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. As extraordinary as Elijah was as a prophet, he was no more man than any of us. And 
keep that in mind as, as I read the rest of this section. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the, or, the earth bore its fruit. If you want an example of the prayer of a righteous person has great power, go back to 1 Kings and read chapters 17 and 18. I mean, not only does Elijah pray and the rain stops for, what is it, three and a half years, but also in that time he prays for a widow's son to come back to life, and he does. And this is where, also where Elijah mocks the, the prophets of Baal when they're unable to call fire down to sacrifice a bull. But when Elijah prays in 1837, it says, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And then in verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. And all of this was done by a man who, what did I verse say, had the same nature as us. A man with a nature like ours. And this story itself, the, the one of the rain stopping and starting, is, is a lesson of patience in itself. I mean, James puts these prayers back to back, but if you go back to First Kings, there was three and a half years between these prayers. He prayed for no rain, and then three and a half years later, he prayed and it rained again. And a lot happened in between. I mean, think about the, the lesson of patience and faithfulness in the story of Lazarus. I mean, we often get discouraged when we don't get our prayers answered for days or weeks or months or years, but Jesus showed up for Martha and for Lazarus, and Jesus, and the Lord's going to show up for us as well. And what this text tells us is that prayer should be our response in all problems, in suffering, in happiness, sickness, and sin. And when we pray with faith, we have the most powerful tool in the universe and the promise that the Lord will raise us up through it all. Well, now we move um, to the second section and to another powerful tool that's uh, available to Christians, and that's the gospel, or as James refers to it as, as the truth in our text. And starting in verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And there's three parts that I want to focus on in this section. They are the truth and what that means, the anyone and someone that James mentions, and covering of sins and saving a soul from death. So a couple of references to the truth that we have in the Bible are in John 8.31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. Another example is in 2 Timothy 2.17. It says, Among them was Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. And the truth that James is referring to is not only the word or what we believe um, or when we believe in the word, but it's also the, the actions of the person. It's what we are doing based on the belief in the word. It's the, it's the works along with the faith. And those who are said to be wandering or, or swerving, as Paul puts it, from the truth are, are no longer believing the word or are living in sin without remorse. And, and we see this, an example of this in churches a lot when they start to drift away from biblical teaching, um, away from the truth. Um, but in our case, um, James is ref- was specifically speaking of individuals that are wandering from the truth. And look at the words that James decides to use here. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, the emphasis there on the anyone and the someone, the local church is made of a whole bunch of anyones and someones. And each and every one of them is called to look out for each and every one of them. I mean, yes, in, in Hebrews, it does tell us that the elders are responsible for keeping watch over our souls, but look at the consequences that are avoided when we do rescue a fellow brother or sister. At the end of our text, it says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And we can think of this covering of sins like a a financial debt being settled. When we make a purchase on a credit card, we incur debt. And this debt can only be covered by paying off the credit card with cash. And once it's once it's paid off, then that debt is covered and it's, it's gone forever until you make you know, another purchase and then we start to cycle all, all over again. But um, James isn't saying that the person who brings back this wandering person will cover these sins. Only the Lord can do that. But what he is saying is that if that wandering person is brought back from the truth, that if he's truly brought back, that that person will repent of his sins and that the Lord will cover for a multitude of sins. Not just one or two, but every sin that that person was committing when he was wandering off will be covered by the Lord. And this makes me think about when uh, Sarah and I are driving somewhere that we've only been to like once or twice. I tend to think that I have this photographic memory that I can just get back somewhere, you know, that I've only been to once or twice. And usually I can, but sometimes I'll think I don't need a GPS and I'll just start driving where I think this is. And after a while, Sarah will realize that I have no idea where we are and I'm just too prideful to admit it. So she'll pull up Google Maps and she'll punch in the address and um, will guide us right back to our destination. And this is the same when a friend comes along and says that you've drifted or that you've 
wandered away, let me guide you back to the right path on the path that leads to Jesus. That person is leading you back to the path to salvation where all your sins are forgiven and your soul is saved from eternal death. So perhaps you know somebody who's gone astray, who's wandering from the truth. Perhaps that person has sinned against you. Consider calling that person today. See if they're willing to meet with you, to pray with you, just as James has instructed us to do in this text. And if we've learned anything from this text, it's that there's no situation that shouldn't be, that we shouldn't be praying in. And there isn't anything the Lord will not do for us if we pray faithfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this series that we've gone through in the book of James. I thank you for the many lessons that you've taught me through studying your word. I pray that it has been um, a blessing for um, everyone else as well, that um, we're, we would be encouraged through the, the, the commands and the lessons that Pastor James has given us in this text, Lord. Um, I pray that we would um, be a people that would pray in all situations, in all occasions, whether they be good or they be bad, that we would lift up everything to you, Lord, that, um, that we would realize that every situation that you put us in is, is good, and it's, it's your will, and that we are to submit to your will, Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Yep. Thank you. Um, 